Welcome back to Think Tech. I'm Jay Fidel. This series is Transitional Justice, uh, referring to uh, Project Expedite Justice. And today we're going to talk about the stormy waters of the Black Sea. And indeed, the Black Sea is black and it is stormy. Uh, and it is stormy in more ways than one because uh, maritime trade and freedom of navigation has been restricted, uh, undermined by the Russians as they have undermined so many other things in that area. Uh, and our guest today is. Uh, you're sick. Did I get that right? He joins us from a car uh, in Istanbul, Turkey, and he is uh, within within a view of the Black Sea. We'll be right back to talk more. Thank you very much for joining us, Yorick. It, uh, it's really nice to meet you, and it's nice to hear uh, that uh, Project Expedite Justice is looking at this issue because this is an my issue pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for being here. So, you know, um, the Black Sea, let's have a map of the Black Sea and we can talk about what it is and where it is. What I noticed in looking at the map is that, uh, you know, you have all these countries that we've been talking about in the in the Balkans and uh, in, in uh, you know, in uh, southeast of um, Russia itself um, that touch on the Black Sea. Uh, running not only from Ukraine, but uh, Moldova, Romania, Bulgaria, gee whiz, Turkey, where you are now in Istanbul and Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is this is really central and it's huge and it, it could connect a lot of people. It could come what through the Bosphorus and Istanbul and into the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean and thus the Atlantic. Um, but but things are not swell right now. Then since, uh, what, uh, 2014, the Russians have kind of taken it over against international law. Uh, so you're a political scientist and you follow what Russia is doing. I wonder if you can tell us what is going on in the Black Sea. What's going on in the Black Sea is one more time, uh, Russians are attempting to treat Black Sea as their internal lake. Uh, even in the uh, Soviet times, this has been an issue. Russia does not see Black Sea as an international body of water, even if it's signed treaties. It's, you know, it, it is not only, you know, the shores. There are multiple countries, as you just counted. But Russia treats Black Sea as its internal water. And that is the fundamental. Like how Russia treats its own neighbors, it's the same problem. Uh, in reality, it is an international body of water. And it doesn't just belong to Russia. It belongs to multiple countries. And this is an international body of water. It's a sea. It's not a lake. And there should be freedom of navigation on it. But right now, Russia, by force, unlawfully, uh, preventing the freedom of navigation in the Black Sea. So there's only two countries that, that have free access to it. One is Russia, um, by virtue of its force. And its navy is in there. Uh, and uh, also Turkey. Um, Turkey has a certain amount of freedom of navigation in the Black Sea. Can you talk about that? Yeah, uh, it's not just us. I mean, Bulgaria and Romania also, they are, uh, they are, uh, you know, be, by being NATO members at this point, they have freedom of navigation also. The, their ports are open and international traffic continues uh, to their ports. And, um, and their warships, um, Turkey uh, grants exception to them because Turkey closed Bosphorus and like Bosphorus and Dardanelles, the Turkish Strait, after the Ukraine war, after Russia attacked Ukraine. Um, 
Turkey closed its straits to any kind of naval traffic. But it grants exception to Bulgarian and Romanian uh, naval vessels. But Bulgarian and Romanian navies are, um, they are not big navies. Um, they are, you know, post-Eastern uh, Europe, post-Warsaw Pact countries. Uh, there are some um, good minesweeper vessels, small vessels, old frigates. They usually been transferred from Dutch Navy, Belgian Navy in NATO in recent years, in last 10, 15 years to Bulgaria and Romania. But these are not significant assets. Um, as you said, the only other navy um, comparable to Russia is the Turkish navy. And um, but you know here the main problem right now it is the from last really I mean because the war to Ukraine has been so aggressive and so bloody, everyone usually right now is paying attention to the last fifteen months. But really, since the two thousand eight, since Russia attacked Georgia. Uh, uh, Russia systematically is expanding its areas of control in the Black Sea right now. Probably 20% of Georgia is under occupation. It's not only Ukraine. A very big chunk of it, uh, of Moldova, is under Russian occupation. And, uh, and so it's, there is a, a, a big parts of the northeast of Black Sea uh, countries is uh, is is being victimized by Russian uh, expansion. The biggest port that's been affected in the Black Sea area and the trade right now it's the Ukrainian port of Chernomorsk, which is a twin uh, city to the Odessa, to twin port, and that was the Russia uh, Ukraine's main entry point for trade. So it is on this map, it's to the northwest. I mean, to the top, uh, really to the top uh, left part of the map, or the, to the middle part of the map. So it is actually well before this war, one of the ways that Russia treated Ukraine was to make Ukraine an economically uh, unviable, economically undermining. So this actually fits to this overall plan of make, uh, economically undermining Ukraine by closing uh, Ukraine's main import-export routes uh, to the world. Because right now, people are really focusing on Ukraine agricultural export, but Ukraine imports and exports many other products. And right now, all that trade uh, stopped. Uh, some, I mean, you, the, the container traffic coming to Ukraine right now is forwarded either to some Turkish port and mostly right now to Constanta, to the Romanian port. And from there, they continue uh, by land. Uh, and we see even as we speak right now, uh, you know, like even tonight or last night, the main ports of Ukraine, like Odessa, it came under attack of the Russia is running really a missile terror in the Black Sea and hitting on purpose civilian targets. And ironically, it fits to the maybe to the Russian general attitude. It, they are even hitting the facilities that you know it, the world got really paid attention to the grain deal that the deal that is signed separately by under the auspices of Turkish government and UN so Ukraine can export its agricultural commodities um and that the main port of exporting that is Odessa but R Russia is systematically been hitting even those ports that it signed a deal to allowing Ukraine to uh, export uh, but you know it's just uh, the situation is uh, really inferior thing, and 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 uh, we are kind of right now. The world is watching. Um, I think the general attitude is not to give Russia another opportunity to expand um, this war to the Black Sea, 
because um, they are not confronted at the sea right now in the Black Sea by uh, any other nation but Ukraine. Ukraine um, uh, at the early in the war last year, um, actually Russia brought out its navy and really blockaded with you know with really like real ships and real aviation power Ukraine's port. But Ukraine successfully, you know, the famous events in the Snake Island uh, sunk uh, Russia's actually flagship, a huge destroyer in the Black Sea, the Moskva, which was the Russia's Black Sea Fleet's uh, uh, flagship. Russia's navy has uh, four different components. There's Baltic Fleet, uh, North Sea Fleet, Pacific Fleet, and Black Sea Fleet. So this was the headship of the Black Sea Fleet, and it's it sunk by the Ukrainian armed forces. So since then, uh, actually, Russian Navy retreated to its headquarters, to the Eastern Black Sea. But de facto, it continued its blockade. And it can maintain this because, uh, you know, it has still caliber guided missiles. They are pretty effective. But um, as the world, we couldn't really form a common position yet. Maybe the time will come. And, you know, if they are not uh, respecting the agreement they signed, the Grain Deal Agreement, we have to bring some kind of meaningful force to Black Sea. This could be, I usually argue, that instead of first directly coming with NATO, the regional NATO countries, Turkey, Russia, uh, Turkey, Romania, Bulgaria, can start escorting maybe some of the grain vessels. So like I, we, we label this as what we call the regional ownership. So it won't give Russia an opportunity to argue that outside forces are coming and threatening them, even if that's not the case, but they will definitely argue that. But we have to put maybe a meaningful force in the sea to maintain the freedom of navigation, which is the most basic law of the sea in the last, what, 300 years, 400 years? You know, it's like the, the, the so, between uh, sovereign nations, uh, harmless uh, transit, harmless voyage is the most basic law of the sea. You know, this is United States stands for this right in the in in the Pacific, in Asia, and in many other places. And it is time that you know we have to pay attention to the Black Sea uh, more closely. I see you know, happily that in Washington um, there is more awareness uh, to this issue, and in the Senate, etc., there are bills uh, I think still um, pending, but um, that. Uh, there is more talk about the Black Sea because this is not the end of the uh, end of the road anymore. In the Cold War, this was kind of the end of the road. Like you came to the Black Sea and then there was the Soviet Union. The road ended there. But actually now, so uh, Black Sea with the uh, when you enter to the Don River and to the and there is lock between to the Volga, etc. You can pass to the Caspian also. You know, the sea doesn't end there. There is an small internal sea on that map on the upper right side of the map there is let's see the map yeah. yeah so in the black sea uh, um there is azov sea which is like the the tiny most upper right body of water yeah. that is an internal sea which is russia is illegally blockading that is by a treaty of 2003 it should be shared with ukraine actually the original violation even started there that uh, russia started to control the vessels entering to the Azov Sea. There is a, there's a strait there between, so this is the eastern part of the Crimea. The right side is proper Russia, and the Crimea is Ukraine. And uh, Russia started to 
inspect first they started with uh, abusing the uh, maritime regulations you know like russian coast guard started to run excessive safety checks only on ukrainian vessel flags or vessels going to the ukrainian port first this was taken as a hostile commercial activity that they are trying to guide, divert traffic to their ports but at the end you know their real goal uh, was exposed and so they control now as of the, the Kerch Strait it's fully under Russian control and you know they've built the famous bridge there to connecting um, you know uh, to the uh, from Krasnodar from the Russia proper into the occupied Crimea this was you know that mis that that was the entire world's fault we should have never we should have reacted when Russia is building that bridge, but at that moment uh, we didn't have a, a unified position. I think um, you know that 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 blame lie on all of us. But from there, what I'm saying is that's not the end of the road. From there, an entire uh, trade route all the way to China, but first to Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, the new countries there on the east, which import and export lots of goods opens and, and then it's you know to that's the route to china which is an in very important uh trade route if it can be operated up oper um, efficiently let's say well i i get two reactions uh to that Yurik. uh one is um, that we have had the benefit of the liberal world order uh since uh, 1945 and this is a, a direct um attempt to undermine that um because freedom of the sea is part of it part part of the liberal world order. So now there's not freedom of the sea in, in the Black Sea, and it affects all the countries around. The second reaction I get from that um, is that this is Putin's way of reestablishing the, the Soviet Union, because through the Black Sea, he can control and have huge military influence on all the countries around the Black Sea and try to restore the Soviet Union by by that control. Uh, do you agree with those points? Yes, I will give two reactions to that. One agree, fully agree. And then, you know, also I want to insert one other thought there. One is you're 100% correct. And, you know, for anyone who is not following uh, the issue correctly, this is very, very important. And why? Because what Russia is doing, invading its sovereign neighbor, it is putting undermining the entire world system post second world war system maybe it's in you know undermining all the way from westphalia it's the the language they are using it goes beyond actually even undermining it's just it's they use russia russian government tv russian government pundits are using genocidal language that is uh, refusing the existence of ukrainians and ukrainian nation but I'm not even going there. I mean, that's on for our purposes, just undermining its sovereign neighbor's existence. It is, and and this is not the first time, as we said, it doesn't accept the sovereignty of the Georgia. It doesn't accept the sovereignty of Moldova, now Ukraine. And the way Russia treats, when we look at the Caucasus, Azerbaijan and Armenia, et cetera, it's, it's the same thing we see in Kazakhstan from the Russia, and that's why many times Kazakhstanis are ex um, extremely upset from some of the language coming from Russian senators that northern part of Kazakhstan is seen as part of Russia, and they directly threaten Kazakhstan many times. 
they use they use similar languages for for parts of Kyrgyzstan, etc. But Kyrgyzstan is such a small and poor nation; they cannot give the reaction that uh, the Kazakhstan uh, Kazakh government can effort. And uh, so it's you know there, here there is a pattern. So you are a hundred percent correct about all that. At the same time, you know, I also will argue if there is a package of Putin uses that Russian imperial glory or like the entire back to the, you know, somehow reviving Soviet Union, etc. You know, it's like uh, positioning Russia as the the top re- leader in this part of the world. And But also, we are talking about all these things may be correct in one way but this person is an extremely corrupt person uh putin vladimir putin is probably at the same time is one of world's richest men and what we see here this is the industrial hinterland of 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 soviet union we also see under all this nationalist rhetoric um the the distribution of wealth in the occupied zones or to the Kremlin's friends and family, the refineries, this plundering of agricultural commodities, plundering of um, like scrap metal, other factories. It is there is massive stealing, and it is this stealing is not going to the, any uh, Russian nation. Like you know, the Russian nationals might get uh, you know they can get Second World War style nationals fever. They can die for their country. But at no point they get any benefit from uh, from this wealth. Uh, they don't get even better roads. They don't get better service. They just die for their country. But very small group of people in uh, close to the Kremlin, uh, or like that in the Russian uh, lingo, that's called Siloviki. You know, that's the people, the strong men of Moscow that have also connection in the past to this um, security apparatus, etc. There is a very small group of people systematically are uh, stealing all kinds of things from their neighboring countries and building amazing personal uh, wealth. So um, there, is, there is all that angle that Ru- Russia is positioning itself as a, you know, uh, mil- it's, there is a military explanation and you can explain it, but there is also another reality that this country is, it's, it, it is even less than sometime that uh, what, what, like, the, even the, the way they conduct this war, Russia is still a formidable military power after all the wrong things they did in the Ukrainian war. But as we see, they are so weak at the same time. And they, like, I think this war, if has one thing, positive thing, it really showed to the world uh, how weak they were. I mean, they, some of their army, uh, it's really like the you know the the term Potemkin village comes from Russia. It's they cannot operate because there is such massive corruption. Not that they are lacking, you know. They have courageous people. They have intelligent people. They have some of technology. Some of it is actually in the tradition of stealing things. Some of it is stolen German technology from Second World War. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, they the lack of management and corruption and amazing uh corruption in the kremlin this group of people are um around putin these are like uh this is a special thing this is diff- they are different than soviet union in that sense mm. uh, 
uh, and there is massive personal wealth in the, the, that the level of stealing since the beginning he came to the power there has been systematic um uh you know uh, the stealing of the russian national assets the privatization etc gone so wrong in russia um that the russian nation has been robbed from inside well so has the ukrainian nation you know um uh... Uh, certainly, Project Expedite Justice is aware of the war crimes, the atrocities, um, you know, the uh, violations of human rights, that, which continue, which continue every day. Um, but this is a, this is another one. Um, can you talk about the theft of grain uh, that Russia has organized, that Putin has has organized with his friends to steal millions, billions of dollars of grain from Ukraine? Yeah, I. Um, after I said they are very bad in organizing, in this case, this is one of their uh, more successful organizations. And they uh, started this organization, this is an important point, before uh, the war started, Russia purchased vessels, before the war started, Russia purchased vessels from the international market, some of them all the way from South America, brought them. They must have organized before the war started because this kind of organization takes time. Truck, trains, how to carry these stolen goods, stolen agricultural commodities from the farm to the port. And they must have put the right people in the right places because it's, it's a massive operation, uh, like what we see from the satellite pictures that the, uh, it gets collected from the farms, sometime at gunpoint, sometime the owners of the farms have to abandon the areas because of hostilities. And this grain is collected, put on truck, and with truck directly to the port, or the trucks carrying to the train uh, station silos and put on the train wagons, these, um, these hoppers, the train wagons that can carry grain. And with those trains, they are carried to the port, and and then from at the port they are put on the ship, and and this is this is a massive operation. We are talking about millions of metric tons of grain. We are talking about hundreds of trucks, hundreds of train cars, and and organizing this is is a skill. And from the uh, port, uh, uh, because the occupied port capacities and technical abilities and their physical. Um, structures are varies greatly. Uh, the main center is really the occupied Sevastopol, but from other occupied ports also like Feodosia or Kerch, uh, these are put on different sizes of ships, like Sevastopol can serve much bigger ships, and they are put and they are sold to the world market. The main easy point is another Russian international military uh, aggression, success, expansion, which is Syria, and if we, uh, to uh, you know these vessels, Russian flag vessels, carry this good from the occupied Sevastopol. Can we the, see the map? Syria yeah, is directly that, to the south of the yeah, to the south is Turkey, and so like yeah, so it's the most to, uh, to the bottom of this map, to the very uh, middle, and to the bottom of the map, to the east of Cyprus island of Cyprus is is the port of Syrian city of Tartus, where Russia signed after occupied parts of the Syrian uh, Syria under the invitation of the Syrian government, Bashar Assad as the dictator. They signed a deal to operate- Dictator a, and murderer. 
dictator and murderer and <laughs> and uh, and but unfortunately rehabilitated by the arab league even as yesterday i think as we record this and he's back and he he survived all his aggression and hostilities unfortunately he's back to the international community but so russia controls there an airport for the next 74 years and and Russia has a port there now in the port of Tartus, the civilian port of Tartus, the northern part, is given to Russia to operate as a military base. And they keep there on regular basis two diesel uh, uh, submarines, kilo, improved kilo-class submarines, which are capable of carrying caliber missiles like the ones they use against Ukraine. And they serviced all their uh, ships there. This In Tartus, there was a technically not a base but even from the father at that time from the early 70s there was a naval service point so this is they improved this naval service point and so now there they have unfortunately uh an a permanent base and so they are carrying the agricultural commodities mostly grain mostly wheat uh to this syrian port and uh, from there I think it gets distributed and sold to other Middle Eastern customers. Another uh, one of the big uh, dumping points of uh, Russian, I mean, Ukrainian agricultural commodities stolen by Russians has been unfortunately Turkey. Uh, and that comes from, I think, uh, several different reasons. One is Turkey is extremely close, so you don't even need nice ships, even. Uh, Let's see the map many, again. If, yeah, I, if, I, if ships, I steal yeah. grain from Ukraine, and I want to get it out into the Mediterranean, to ports in Syria. I have to go through the Bosphorus, right? I have, yes. So I have you have right to go through, through the Bosphorus, Dardanelles. Doesn't, doesn't and Turkey control the Bosphorus? Turkey controls the Bosphorus, but if the the so ah like this, the if they are passing international, uh, the international transit is not controlled. The I mean, you, it's like the transit ships. They are passing from here without any checks. They they do self declaration, and they transit. I argue that you know that they, Turkey can make a political decision and tell Russia that what they are aware of what's happening, and uh, attempt to stop this. And um, but technically, the vessels passing from here from uh, a non Turkish port to another non Turkish port, they just do. You know, uh, they're uh, kind of like the freedom of navigation. Turkey manages the traffic in the Bosphorus, but it doesn't control it uh, for the civilian vessels. For naval vessels, it's different. So this is a very old treaty, 1936 Montreux Treaty. And it is signed, uh, you know, in a time that, you know, United States was absent, was going through more isolationist period. And it is signed really, uh, you know, there are, there are many different parties. It's actually such an old treaty that there is like um, Japanese Empire or, you know, it's just the uh, Kingdom of Romania, etc. But it is, um, it is signed uh, really treating Russia, uh, I mean, Black Sea kind of sharing um, between Turkey and Soviet Union. That's why it also limits amount of warships that come in from the non-Black Sea countries. They limit their um, their transit into the Black Sea and the amount of time they can stay in the Black Sea is all limited by this treaty. So operating uh, a, a naval operation in the Black Sea 
it is more complicated by this treaty. It's now, of course, there is a whole new world here. This will go beyond the time we have here. But, be, uh, you know, now there are new NATO members in the Black Sea, such as Romania and Bulgaria, that they are uh, looking at the world um, in a, from a different angle. And their presence really uh, will make this uh, situation. Different things will happen in the near future. Uh, but, you know, like maybe some other assets can come by passing the straits into the Black Sea, or they can come from Danube, or they can arrive um, by air. Um, you know, there will be maybe unmanned vehicles, some, uh, sea vehicles and naval vehicles that can be carried by air into Romania and they can come. So, you know, I'm just doing brainstorming. Well, do you, here, do you think NATO is the solution here? Because uh, NATO is not focused NATO on is this the solution. Area. Everybody yeah. has abandoned the whole Black Sea issue and it's getting worse and Russia has more influence there, more, you know, sheer power there. Um, and, you know, I'm, I guess my, my last area I want to ask you about is what is the solution to this creeping power that we have which helps Russia beat up on Ukraine. You know why NATO is the solution? Because NATO, uh, when like this kind of crisis happens, like as you see even like last week or 10 days ago, suddenly Poland and Slovakia and Hungary block Ukrainian grain. I mean, especially coming from Poland, like Orban's uh, Hungary, you can imagine. But, you know, Polish domestic politics gets so vicious and the domestic politics viciousness is affected this event. Then they took a step back. And actually, no European country without commissions, European Commission's permission, can take this kind of decisions of banning imports, exports. But domestic politics in every country is a, you know, you have your high noble goals of running international politics. But at the end of the day, you have to win domestic elections and and the you know the villagers uh, in the in the village A village B, they might see the world uh, much differently. But uh, my point is, when there is this kind of very complex crisis happens many, in many European nations, the interests collide with each other. So we are seeing uh, here also like Turkey does not want to let right now in more NATO vessels in the Black Sea by black you know closing the strait because Turkey has. Turkey is going through the, a huge economic crisis right now. There are elections in five days. And uh, this is possibly the biggest economic crisis since the Second World War. And Russia is a huge trade partner. So actually, you know, Turkey has been firmly on Ukraine's side. But it doesn't, they don't like any of these embargoes and sanctions, etc. against Russia. Because, you know, we are living next to Russians and we are making billions of dollars of trade with Russia. So unless there is a mechanism to compensate it, it will be uh, suicidal for Turkish economy suddenly jump into sanctions. And given that we are outside the EU, um, uh, we are not a full member. We are only part of the common market. But so that's why coming back to you know my long answer to your question, NATO in that sense is extremely important uh, more than the uh, an amazing military power NATO is uh, world biggest, most successful alliance that will wield amazing military power. But also NATO is a great talking shop of Europeans. There is great, 75 years, three quarters of a century 
of talking in NATO, negotiating, and like with amazing secretary generals like Stoltenberg. I think you know it's like the sick one of the secret heroes of this process. There are so many crises happens between Greece and Turkey, between other members. You know, there's like France and Italy right now. They're having like you know, it's like you don't sometimes see it. But NATO, it, this crisis melts in NATO, and there is culture of working this out in NATO environment. So, for not only for the military power, but to overcome these national um, issues and national priorities, the conflicting national priorities, NATO is extremely important to overcome uh, these issues and build a common position because. This is the time we need to have a common position. Yes, right now we don't have a common position exactly for Black Sea. You are you are hundred percent correct. Well, but I'll take I'll take, think... I'll take the view that the United Nations really is neutralized here because of the problem yeah. of the Security Council. And so my exactly. question to you, Yorick, is uh, what what should the United States do? What are the constraints? What are the leverages? Uh, what are the diplomatic considerations? Um, United States uh, should, first of all, have a clear, like how United States has a clear approach to Baltic Sea, uh, Mediterranean. This was lacking for Black Sea. So that was what I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, you know, the, the having a clear Black Sea policy. And what that Black Sea policy will be, it's actually, it's not like we don't need to rediscover America. It's like, how there is successful policy in the Baltic, um, making sure um, uh, to uh, allies and partner countries uh, work in a coordinated fashion uh, in this area. That's, the, I think, the most important role United States can play because we are coming back again to the national priorities and historical baggages sometimes all these European nations have. U.S. presence can ease to overcome some of these issues and make these countries work in a more coordinated fashion and make sure that countries are ready um, in case a, the, a military presence is needed. Like NATO recently formed this VJTF, the, uh, the, the, uh, like, uh, the force that can move more rapidly to the areas needed because like we see sometimes the uh the our european armies are designed to fight big war but when it's needed they cannot bring uh, uh enough manpower or equipment in a short period of time even to a very nearby war zones or conflict zones so us can uh play this role of the you know the the leader country that can make as a like the maestro role that the this uh, Eastern European members of NATO countries um, work in a more coordinated fashion and kind of repeat what is done in Ukraine. Part of it we can take credit. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, Ukrainians heroically fought for their defense of their country, and it's like the ninety percent, ninety nine percent maybe of the credit goes to them. But uh, also NATO was working with Na uh, Ukrainian army. And part of the success comes that, you know, this well training. So um, the, there are other partner countries. They are not NATO members in the region, mostly Georgia, uh, uh, but uh, and also Moldova. Uh, you know, it's like we can 
um, trying to bring them in line with the other NATO countries because I think at this point, as long as there is a shift in the Kremlin, um, being ready militarily is very important. Maybe one day we'll be lucky enough to see a different Russia. I still believe, you know, we are going through a period that it's very easy to just hate Russia. But Russia is a country with amazing history and, you know, and very intelligent people. I mean, there can be a different Russia. I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, I, I want to continue to believe there can be a different Russia. It's hard right now. You know, sometimes oh, from, the nation... From your free will lips to God's ears, as they say. From <laughs> your lips to God's ears. Well, one thing is clear from this discussion, Yorick, is that we have to pay more attention. For sure. The Black Sea, the countries around the Black Sea, uh, to what Russia is doing in the Black Sea, because it is directly related to the um, it's the invasion of uh, Ukraine and what happens there, uh, and to the futures of all of those countries, including the connection of Europe and, and China. It has huge implication. I think Russia understands that, but we may not be paying enough attention. Uh, Yorick, I really would like to continue this discussion. I hope you'll join me again for more. Um, Anytime you invite me, I'm ready. All right, stand, stand by. Uh, Yorick Isik. Uh, in Istanbul, in his car, overlooking the Black Sea. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Aloha. Really, I appreciate it so much. Oh, that's, that's very kind. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, Please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.